If Jesus Christ is in the tomb today, we have no hope, church, but because on the third day he conquered sin and death and the grave could not hold our king, we have the greatest hope there is. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you today, and oh God, I pray that as we we look to you, as we confess how needy we are, how desperate we are. God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts. I pray you'd give us soft hearts today. Not rebellious hearts, but soft hearts, tender hearts. As we renounce the schemes of the enemy, his lies, his deceptions, God, I pray we would just walk in truth today. Your Word tells us that for who the Son sets free is free indeed. So, Father, as we open Your Word, help us to see it clearly. Give us minds and hearts to see, to hear, to obey. And Father, if there's one here, maybe several, that have never truly given their lives to You, Oh God, I pray today, God, I pray today will be the day of salvation. God, this is your time. This is your word. Drive it deep into the wellspring of our souls. God, I pray this will be a resurrection Sunday that will be a pivotal moment in all of our spiritual journeys. That we will move closer to you be surrendered to You, abandoning everything for the cause of the Gospel going forth. You gave everything for us, Jesus. Is it really that big of an ask that we give everything back to You? Oh, we worship You today. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of the risen Savior, King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and let's turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verses 1 through 6. Luke 24, 1 through 6. I pray you have a Bible with you. Let's open that together. And as you're turning there, uh, I don't have to tell you this unless you're living under a rock. But we are living in challenging days, turbulent times. The darkness, the forces of darkness are pressing in, but we don't take orders from the enemy. We take orders from King Jesus, amen? And it's amazing what happens when you give your life to Him, that even though life is a journey and it can be so difficult and challenging as we live for Christ, but he will take that life that's simply available and do great things through it for His glory. I was thinking about how Easter Resurrection Sunday has been so warped and twisted over the years and convoluted. And, you know, you look at what's happened in our culture, and I can assure you that uh, even though some are on spring break and it's a holiday for some, I get that, but that's not the overarching goal of Resurrection Sunday. The overarching goal of Resurrection Sunday is, as much as I love chocolate and praise Jesus for chocolate, that's not the overarching goal, nor is honey ham. Can I get a witness on that one though, amen? I think the Holy Spirit hovers over the honey ham store. But that's not the overarching goal. It's certainly not to worship a rabbit. You know, the overarching goal for the true believer in Jesus Christ is that it is the Super Bowl Sunday of all Sundays for the true believer. 
I don't know if you understand this, but everything hinges on the resurrection. Everything in your life today hinges on Jesus running out of that grave. If He is dead, we're all wasting our time. But because our Redeemer lives, we have freedom, and we have freedom indeed. I think there are so many professed believers across our country right now, as one person said, they're looking for a whole lot of how-to when they really don't have a whole lot of want-to. How can I just get better at X in life all the while never truly giving my life to Jesus? I was processing that thought. Maybe you're not aware but we are in a battle for the souls in our families. We are in a battle for the souls across America inside churches today. We are in a battle for the soul of our nation. And this thing's not going to magically work itself out by being partially committed to Jesus. It's amazing when you think through that thought because the recent Gallup survey really revealed something that was already well known. The recent Gallup survey revealed this, that for the first time, and I believe over eight decades, that the percentage of Americans that are committed to membership in a church, committed, that's the key, is now less than 50%. So the majority of being not committed has now taken over those that are committed. And we live in a culture where commitment is not championed, uncommitment is. Why get married? Why be committed? I mean, everywhere you go, it's all about let's not be committed Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ was fully committed to the cross? I mean, what would have happened if Jesus goes, you know what, this is going to hurt. I really don't want to do this. But he was a man on a mission. Question for you and me today, are you a man and woman on a mission? It's just too easy to be half in, which means you're totally out. It's just too easy to play on the fringe of life, to play in the kiddie pool of Christianity, to have a whole bunch of how to, but not have the want to. That thought was driven deeper as I was thinking about this quote from Larson. He said this, despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance, and he left through a door marked no exit. That's our King Jesus, amen? You say, what's that have to do with Easter and being committed? And Well, I believe these seven words, when they're strung together, are the most magnificent words you could ever hear. And it's simply this, He is not here. He is risen. I want you to think about our text for today, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. With your Bible and your notes open, let's dive deep into the Word. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, Mary, and the other Mary, 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 we could call them, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, verse 3, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Hmm. While they were perplexed about this, behold, 
two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Now, don't miss this, church. This is very, very intriguing. Remember how he told you, past tense, while he was still in Galilee. The title of the message in your notes is Jesus is not dead, but he's fully alive. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that Jesus is not dead, but he's fully alive? I believe it. I believe Jesus is not dead. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care if they mock me, if they lie about me. I don't give two cents. My God, my Jesus is not dead. He's fully alive. My whole being of who I am, the redemption of the sinfulness of who I am, all hinges on Christ being alive. I think it's important that we understand our rescue. I believe there's so many people that have raised a hand, said a prayer, did a cartwheel, signed a card, got dunked, all the external, but they have no clue about their rescue, truthfully. They have no clue of what they've been saved from. When you begin to study Scripture and you take all of Scripture and you put it together and you see the events, just not the events of what we call Holy Week, but I'm talking about the events of redemption for eternity. There are way too many people that are just playing games with Jesus. Think about this for a moment. When you really dive deep into this, when when you take God's Word, when you begin to, to scour the pages of Scripture and you go from the book of table of contents of the book of maps, and you look at everything in between, you see a redemption story, Old Testament looking towards the cross, New Testament looking back towards the cross, and as you scour these pages, here's what you begin to see. You see a God who hates sin so much that He gives His only Son. I think we miss this but we don't grab onto this. The Bible says this, that for the one who lives in sin and is not truly under the blood, and you know this, you know if you've truly given your life to Jesus. There's going to be zero questions. I mean, zero, you know. For the one who's truly given their life to Christ We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are under that covering. But for the one who has not, even though you're a good church attender, the reality from Scripture is this, from the Bible, from the truth, and if there was ever a time, by the way, to begin to preach the whole counsel of God, it's now. Someone needs to sound the alarm. It's high time we get back to the Bible. What happened to thus saith the Lord? If you're really not under His blood, this is what the Bible says. You are at enmity with God. Do you know what that means? That means that He's at war with you and you are at war with Him. That's the reality. Not everyone dies and goes to the Disneyland in the sky. That's not how this works. This is all about a wholesale conversion that the life is no longer its own, that they see, the person sees their sin for what it is, that they see that God said, look, there's only one solution for this problem. It's the blood of my son. That's how seriously God takes sin. Oh, if I and you would take sin that seriously. So what did he do? Think about this. Palm Sunday, we talked about it last Sunday. Here comes Jesus on a donkey, a colt. (laughs) Pretty cool, huh? No tricked out chariots. Here he comes riding into town and the crowds, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's a grassroots effort. This ragtag bunch of, of Jews. And he comes into town 
And they're saying, Hosanna, save now, save now. And they don't want to be saved from their sin. They want to be saved from the Romans. Well, it's easy to have our priorities and our motives askew, isn't it? Well, you know what happens. This weaves into town, and then he goes into the upper room. He's got 12 there. It's a, the bad news bears, I call them. Not the seminary presidents. Not a bunch of doctoral degrees in the room. You just got a, you got a bunch of clowns, basically, hanging around with you. And one, he says, is the devil. That's Judas. And he washes feet, and he ministers, and he knows as he pours into this group of what's going to happen, and he's trying to teach them servant leadership, that the way up is really down, that you live by dying, you win by losing. It totally pushes against the American dream, which when you get to the American dream, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, you'll realize it's actually the American nightmare. And so there he is in this upper room, and he works towards the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. He says, hey, disciples, come with me. Wait a minute, you three, Peter, James, and John, you really come with me. Let's go deep into the garden. Let's begin to pray. Let's begin to, to seek the Lord's face. Let's get intimate with Him. Let's get real intimate with Him. And, and you know the account that He goes a little further. and he's, he's thinking about what He's going to endure. And so often we regulate it just to the physical pain. Oh, that must have been horrible. He got executed. That's bad. It's not bad. It's horrific. If you know anything about the Roman execution, it's horrible. And there he is, and he's in the garden, and he's pleading with the Father. He says, Father, if there's any other way. Because he's thinking about the physical, but what about the emotional and the mental and the spiritual components? That he's going to be the substitutionary atonement for those who say, I'm in for Jesus. That He's going to take their place. The wrath of God will be propitiated. It will be satisfied on the cross. And He knows in His hypostatic union, fully man, fully divine, yet without sin, He knows what He's enduring towards. See, He's a man on a mission. When you're a man or a woman on a mission, you will not be detoured. You are dialed in. You are focused. No matter what happens in your life, you know your Redeemer lives. What He calls you to, He will get you through. And so there He is in the garden on what I believe the most pivotal night in history. The ragtag bunch, Peter, James, and John, they're asleep at the wheel. He should have had some errands and some hers that were holding his arms up in the battle and standing in the gap for him as he's sweating drops of blood. He's sweating drops of blood. How often have you and I sweated drops of blood? Does that give you and I a visual about what he's about to endure? And he says, look, I'm so dialed into this mission, I need you to pray for me. I need you to intercede for me and not once, not twice, but three times they're asleep at the wheel. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what? Thanks for trying. Uh, good luck. I'll give you a blue ribbon. Here's your participation award. What does he do? He says, we're not pulling up stakes. We're not turning around. He says, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus was a man on a mission. He journeys then towards that cross. He's doing this heavy lifting, as I mentioned, about the sweating of blood. And as he's journeying towards the cross, he's doing even more heavy lifting because now what happens, he encounters Pilate. And Pilate asks him a question. He looks at Jesus and he says, what is truth? Of all the people, he asks it to Jesus. Because he's standing in front of the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Well, Jesus continues on this process. Pilate goes, Okay, wait a minute. I'm fearing man. So, wanting to gratify the crowds, not being bold for truth, 
He looks to the crowds, the people, and says, what shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? Here is the truth, the Redeemer who's standing right there, and because he's scared of the masses and fearful, he goes, what do you want to do with him? It's amazing how in one week's time the chants went from Hosanna, Hosanna, and now they realize they're not being freed from the Roman tyranny, and what do they say? Here's the response to Pilate, give us Barabbas, give us a murderer, crucify the innocent man, Jesus, crucify him. The chants go from Hosanna, Hosanna, to crucify him, crucify him. Know how things change when we don't get what we want. The selfish flesh begins to rear its ugly head. Did you note, by the way, the religious leaders and the Romans teamed up? Don't miss that point. Pharisees had it all together, wore the church clothes, said the church lingo, filthy, wicked as can be, brood of vipers, outside of the dish was clean, insides filthy, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. They team up with the Romans because they hate Jesus. They hate Him. Why? Well, Jesus is truth. See, when you're walking in darkness and you encounter the light, the darkness gets incensed with the light. They're repelled. They don't want anything to do with him because as John 3, 17 and following says, men love the darkness lest their evil deeds become exposed. Pilate goes on and he hands him over. And think about this, in order for you and I, for you today, for me today to be in right standing vertically with God, this had to happen. They scourged him at the post. They literally beat the prisoner often to death. But took a whip that was often leather and they would tie metal and bone fragments and they would take that and as they fastened that together, they would lash the prisoner. Just beat him. Blood everywhere. It was the worst crime scene you could imagine. Often, internal organs of the prisoner would spill out on the ground. It was so vile, so gruesome. Many prisoners died at the post. Many prisoners never made it to the cross. And then what happens? Well, the humiliation continues. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They saluted him. Sarcastically. They struck him on the head with the reed. They, they spat upon him. They, they led him to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And, and there at Golgotha was this sign. And they would always put a sign over the prisoner that would outline their charges. What they're being convicted of. Well, what do you put on the sign of an innocent man? You've got to put something. How about king of the Jews? And there they brutally, not with nails that we think of, but nails the size of railroad spikes, they, they, they drive them, they, they just drive them into his flesh. And they continue this slow torture. The block was typically placed under the feet of the prisoner so that the prisoner could could push up to exhale and not die. Can you imagine they're naked? They're humiliated. The raw back is on the raw wood of the cross. Can you imagine the abrasion, the splinters in the back? You're already bleeding. You've been whipped to literally near death at the post, and now you're gasping physically for breath. You're being ridiculed and mocked, and there's a thief on one side and a thief on the other, and one says, hey, why who are you? Can't save anybody. The other says, wait a minute, remember me. Remember me. Jesus says, today, today I'll remember you in paradise. 
He's hanging there. Just imagine the suffering Savior just hanging, tortured. Some who were alive on the cross were eaten by birds of prey. Others hung there for days. It was a horrible way to die. And then Jesus, however, in his case, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Try to imagine what Christ is going through as he's absorbing, he's absorbing the wrath of God. He's absorbing my sin and your sin. It's being heaped upon him. Just imagine what he's enduring. The wickedness of my sin. The guilt of my sin. The shame of my sin. And then Jesus declares, it is finished. To tell us die. A business accounting term in that day that shows that there are a series of payments that have been made and the final payment has been made. It is finished. It's stamped. Paycheck cashes and clears the bank. And he bows his head. Is that paid in full to Telestai is pronounced, and he was born to die, but he was really born to go to the grave and conquer the grave because Jesus was a man on a mission. No one took his life from him, he willingly gave it. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked. The rocks were split and graves opened. And in Matthew it says this, that people got up out of the graves and walked into the holy city. Now that would have been something, amen? Can you imagine a bunch of formerly dead people now walking around? And the centurion in Matthew 27, 54, I love this. He says, when The centurion had seen what happened. He said, truly this was the Son of God. As the earth was quaking, as darkness filled the land from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. our time, it's not one of these where it's kind of dusk out. Total darkness takes over the land for three hours. And can you imagine the earth is quaking as King Jesus is hanging on a cross? And the centurion looks up and says, truly this is the Son of God. There's no greater pronouncement that we can make as humans that truly this is the Son of God. You've got to remember that Galatians 3 tells us, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Isaiah 53, 10 tells us, yes, it was the will of God. Think about that. Yet it was the will of God crush him. It pleased the Father to bruise him. Why? Because my sin was so great. Your sin was so great. If God takes my sin that seriously, I must take my sin that seriously. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. So what happens? He bows his head. He gives up his spirit. Jesus does. He's dead. Wasn't a hoax. Wasn't sleeping. Body wasn't stolen. Can you imagine what the enemy must have been thinking? On that moment from it is finished, and he doesn't know that Sundays are coming, amen? But can you imagine what the enemy was thinking? Oh, I finally got it. The prideful desires of my heart, the enemy, I finally will be worshipped. I will finally be the one. No longer Jesus, but me. Little did the enemy know that the greatest, most lopsided victory in the history of all the world was unfolding behind the scenes. 
for you sports fans, this is going to be running clock mercy rule on spiritual steroids because Sunday, as has been said, is coming. So Jesus is in the grave. He entered on a borrowed donkey. And he exited in a borrowed grave. There's no need to purchase a grave. You have no intent on staying in long term. Amen? How would you grade Jesus' life truthfully? Have you ever pondered that for a moment? I mean, we often talk about the Lord, but how would you really grade His life according to the world's barometer and scorecard? I mean, He didn't have His name. Think about this. He didn't have His name in, you know, the Jerusalem Baptist Gazette. He didn't live in a million-dollar parsonage on the Sea of Galilee. He didn't have any book deals, although I would argue He's got the greatest book deal going, amen? I mean, how would you grade his life? Does he give you just a whole bunch of want to? Or are you really looking for a whole bunch of how to? See, it all goes back to understanding your rescue. Because of your sin, my sin, he went to this cross. And in order for you and I to be freed from this war, this war against God, the only atoning work would be the atoning work of Jesus. So what happens? Well, let's look at these two verses as we celebrate the empty tomb. Here it is, verse 5 of Luke 24. Mary Magdalene, of course, and the other Mary go in and they hear from the two guys that are there, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here he has risen. So there, they come across this scene that the, the tomb is empty. I mean, think about this. So they come across this scene where the tomb is empty. And as the tomb is empty, they, they go there and they go, wait a minute. And the two that are in this dazzling attire look at them and say, they ask this question, a very intriguing question. They ask, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek, actually the definition for that there is, to seek with an intentionality and a deep craving defined. So when you piece that together, the question is asked, why do you seek the living among the dead? I believe there are so many people today all across our country, even good church-going people, that are too busy seeking dead things and not living things. Matter of fact, when you look at our key number one, I want you to write this down. Key number one, I must daily choose whether I will focus on dead things of the enemy or living things of the Lord. Key number one, write it down. I must daily choose. It's a choice. I can't make you do it and you can't make me do it. I would encourage you to. I must daily choose whether I will focus on dead things of the enemy or living things of the Lord. Question for you, what typically goes on in a cemetery? Any ideas? Usually not a whole lot, amen? I mean, what goes on in a spiritually dead life? Usually not a whole lot. How about a spiritually dead family? Usually not a whole lot. How about a spiritually dead church? Usually not a whole lot. See, so often we get so enamored with the temporal. We get so focused on the external, and we completely neglect the spiritual. Think about this for a moment, that if you're a professed believer today, and I pray that you are, I pray that it's a true profession, that it's real, that you've given your life to Christ, but here's the temptation in our culture today. The temptation is to be so focused on dead things spiritually and not alive things spiritually, the easiest thing to do as a professed believer in America today is to do nothing. Put her in cruise control. 
Don't be committed to anything. Some people go, well, I'm partially committed. Actually, you're totally out. Jesus says, you're either for me or against me. If you ride the fence, Satan owns the fence. Do you think Jesus is going to allow you into his kingdom and your retort to him is, I was partially in? I love the Word of God, and we must understand that the real Christian life, the real one, is a crucified life to self. It's a battleground, not a playground. It's a fight, not a fashion show. It's time to put away the spiritual binkies and the spiritual blankies, put away the spiritual sniffles, so to speak, and it's time to be warriors for the cross of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Write down Joshua 24. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. Write that down. Joshua 24, 14 through 15 says this, Now therefore fear the Lord. See, everything starts with the fear of the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord wholly on reverence, this is going to be really tough sledding in your life. Everything is an outflow of you fearing the Lord. If you really don't fear the Lord today... There's no wonder there's not the commitment to the Lord. It's kind of one of those, duh. When you really fear Him, the outflow is there'll be commitment to Him. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him. See, fear comes before serving because service to the Lord is an outflow of His fear. Serve Him how? In sincerity, a heart that's true, that's real, that's contrite, that's broken, that's humble, and in faithfulness. Now, here's the admonition. Put away the gods, the idols that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day, choose today, not tomorrow, choose today whom you will serve, whether the gods or idols that your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Oh, here we go, church. Here should be the mantra for every true believer. If you're a true believer in the room today, this should be more than on a coffee cup in your office. This should be written on the doorpost of your heart. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Even if none go with us, we need some men and women to rise up and say, I'll go. I will. I'll be the one that goes. I'll be the one that stands in the gap. And yet... There's a choice daily whether I will focus on dead things of the enemy or living things of the Lord. So think about verse 6 of Luke 24. Here's what they tell the women. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee. Picture for a moment, just pause for a moment, go with me on a journey. What do you think was going on inside that grave, that tomb, as King Jesus is about ready to burst forth? Ever thought about that before? I mean, think about this for a moment. For you that are truly saved and are football fans, raise your hand. A couple of you, okay, we'll pray for the rest of you. What do you do when your team's getting run out of the tunnel for the Super Bowl? What are they doing? Well, they're sitting in the tunnel. They got their flip-flops on, their khakis, Hawaiian shirts. They got a Coca-Cola. Got to have some Oreos. And they're just hanging out in the tunnel, right? Is that what they do? No, what are they doing? Man, they're amped up, aren't they? Man, they've got their battle gear on. They're patting shoulder pads. They're headbutting each other with helmets on. Man, they're fired up. They're ready to go take the fields. And so many people across our country today inside churches, man, they're just hanging around in their khakis. They've been rescued from the greatest travesty ever called sin. And it's just too easy to do nothing. And yet here's Jesus. I can just imagine. I can just imagine what was going on in that grave. 
I can just see him being amped up. Roll away that stone. Here I come in all my victory and splendor. I love what the song says called My Living Hope. Here's what it says. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion. I love that. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Not my dead hope, my living hope. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Bible says. Remember, bring to mind. Oh, how we need to be reminded daily because there's so many distractions in this life. We're so busy. B-U-S-Y, as one person said, being under Satan's yoke. Busy. Hey, it's Easter. Can't wait for this to be over so I can go home and have some ham. Oh, forgive us, Lord, for our apathy, for our indifference. It reminds me of an account of some missionaries who they were watching the Jesus film, and there came a, a point in the film where Jesus is executed and they put him in the grave, and there's this weeping going on in these missionary villages, and they're watching the film, and it's, it's horrible, and it's brutal, and one boy steps in, he just exclaims, he says, do not be afraid. He gets up again. I've seen this before. Oh, can you imagine what would happen all around Chester and beyond if all of us in this room today as a fearful world is so fearful that we begin to say, oh, don't worry. Your pain has purpose. He's working. He may be shaking you and sifting you like wheat, but he's got a plan that you can't even hope or dream of what it's going to be. Hang on. Help's on the way. He gets up again. Can you imagine the testimony? That's why our final key, key number two, says it like this. I want you to write it down. Key number two. I must daily remember. There's that word remember to bring to mind. I must daily remember that I serve King Jesus who conquered the grave. And His tomb is forever empty. And all God's people shouted, our God has truly robbed the grave, hasn't He? And you got to remember that everything hinges on the resurrection. Everything hinges on Christ leaving that grave. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, write down 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19. Write that down. Here's what it says. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So if Christ is dead... What I'm doing today, heralding God's Word, is all in vain. Your faith is in vain if He's dead. That's not the story, though. Verse 15, we are what? Even found to be misrepresenting God. Did you catch that? We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who fall asleep in Christ perish. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I don't think we understand this. For the one who's never given their life to Christ, all they have in this life is this life. It's going to come to an end. If you've never given your life to Christ today, your life's going to come to an end, and you are the most to be pitied. But what does the gospel say here? 
Christ has not been raised and our preaching's in vain. It's devoid of truth. We are found to be misrepresenting God. It's untrue. If Christ has not been raised, what happens? You're dead in your sins. It's futile. It's useless. It's void of purpose. Those who've fallen asleep have perished. They've been destroyed. In Christ, we have hope in this life only. We are the people most pitied, miserable. If Jesus Christ is in the tomb today, we have no hope, church, but because on the third day He conquered sin and death and the grave could not hold our King, we have the greatest hope there is. For the true believer, that is. Takeaway question. Does the life that God has entrusted to me to live for His glory reflect that I truly believe that Jesus is alive? Answer that truthfully. Does the life that God has entrusted to me to live for His glory reflect that I truly believe that Jesus is alive? It is finished. The sin-bearer, Jesus the Christ, has paid our debt in full. The check deposited at the cross, the check cleared the bank through the empty tomb, and the wrath of God has forever been satisfied. Have you ever thought about this, that the rescue that Christ provides gives us eternal salvation? But also, church, but also... His death, His burial, His resurrection, His person and His finished work also right here in the text also give us a new life on earth that bears fruit worthy of repentance. If you claim Christ, but the reality is that you're comfortable in your sin and you don't have guilt over sin, how can the Holy Spirit who supposedly indwells you be okay with that. Here's another way to ask this. So when you and I get up every morning, do the bowels of hell begin to shake? Oh no, she's awake. Oh no, he's awake. They're getting ready to get out of bed. Or is the reality that the bowels of hell begin to snicker and sneer. That's why the action step is simply this. I will surrender all of my life to Jesus who gave His life for me that I might live. Action step. If you really mean it, write it down. I will surrender all of my life to Jesus who gave His life for me that I might live. And we have a choice, a decision, how we're going to live for the Lord, how we're going to make a difference. Are we going to be fully in? Are we really going to be committed? I know that, that scares some people. I get it. I get it. I, I get this. We, we get scared. Well, I don't, I don't know. What's going to happen if I fully go in? Well, what's going to happen if you don't fully go into Jesus? How about we answer that question? There's something about giving your life to Christ that it is a faith step. It's a trust step. And in the human mind, there's a whole bunch of questions. But you've got to remember that our God is the God of the exclamation points. Our God is the God of the period. And He puts it on there. And He stamps it on there. And He says, I'm going to put my gospel in you, this jars of clay. Why? So that the all-surpassing power, as the world sees you, they won't look at you and me, but they will look at Christ in you, the hope of glory, as the Word dwells near richly. Amen? What a great refreshment that is. I pray today that as we think on this great song, Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Run sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned He stood. Sealed my pardon with His blood. Hallelujah, 
What a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished was His cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. When He comes, our glorious King, all His ransom home to bring, then anew His song we'll sing. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Father, we come before You today. We worship You. God, don't allow us to be casual in our faith because You and Your Son were not casual at the cross. Oh, Father, I pray that for the one who's never given their life to You, God, I pray today will be the day of salvation. For the one who claims to be in, but they're really not in, God, I pray You'll stir. Holy Spirit, will You stir and move in power? Oh, I pray today will be someone's true resurrection birthday in Christ. God, move. Don't allow us to rebel. Forgive our pridefulness. Stir in this place like only You can. And we'll be quick to give You all the praise and give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend This Day in the Word.